Today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and for those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, thanks, Caitlin, for reading the Bible for us. Friends, I was in a maths staff room at Marrickville High School in my early life when I was a teacher, and I was discussing the person of Jesus with the other staff. I spoke about, how, uh, about God's love, about Jesus' death on our behalf. I spoke about the free gift of eternal life. I was talking about the grace of God and the free gift. And one woman said to me, said, what makes you think you're a Christian and I'm not? She said, I don't go to church very often, but I love my kids. I work hard. I give money to the Salvation Army. In fact, I gave them $20 the other day, she said. What makes you think, she said, that you are better than me? Then I thought how she had completely missed the message of grace, hasn't she? She thought I was judging her. She thought she was a good person. She thought that that would be enough to satisfy a good and holy God. Sally, friends, people miss grace all the time. Christians, though, also miss the message of grace. Sometimes they've been in church for a long time, yet they still miss grace. And I just figure there's no better place to start a new year, to start 2021, than with the message of grace. You see, Christians, we don't seek to impress God or others with our goodness or religious observance. Good works, even religious works, won't save anyone, definitely won't save me. In fact, Christians are those who have recognized their miserable failings and have humbly gone to Christ to find forgiveness and a new life. Friends, it's all about Jesus and his work, not yours. There's a great difference between religion and Christianity. Now, religion is about me trying to impress God in the hope that in the end, I might just be good enough to make it into heaven. Religion is all about me. Every religion outside of Christianity is like this. Religion, though, is absolutely devastating. Why do I say that? Well, friends, you never really know whether you've done enough to impress this holy God. You've never, you don't really know where there's something else you need to do to impress God so he can let you into his heaven. And in fact, you can never do enough. In fact, it doesn't matter how good you are, you fall short, the Bible says, because the past mark is perfection. Now, Christianity, on the other hand, is about Jesus. It's important to remember this at the beginning of a new year. It's about what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. We can never be good enough. But you see, Jesus in his grace offers us forgiveness and eternal life as a gift. I love Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's what we deserve because of our sinfulness is death and judgment. But God offers us eternal life as a free gift. Friends, I discovered that truth as a 15-year-old and it changed my life. 
It was not my goodness, but God's goodness that made all the difference. And Jesus illustrates this truth in a short parable told in Luke 18, 9 to 14, about two men. There's a religious one, and there's an outright sinner. The first thing we notice is the pride of the religious person. Jesus tells the parable that was read to us a little while ago. It's termed the parable of the Pharisee and a tax collector. Why does Jesus tell this parable? Well, he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Friends, Jesus is going to have a go at the religious hypocrite, at the one who thinks he's better than other people. Of course, he isn't. When Jesus tells this story, he gets up some people's noses, doesn't he? He is saying that the most religious person of the day was not pleasing to God. And God was on the side of the con artist, the cheat, who simply apologized. It just didn't seem right, did it? The good guy misses out on heaven and the evil guy, the sinner, gets in the kingdom. And friends, you need to realize that Pharisee was a good, clean, living sort of bloke. He was a good man. He was honest in his business. He was a good father, faithful husband. He was even religious. He knew the Old Testament law. He studied the Bible. He sought to obey it. And yet he was a stranger to God's goodness. He had all these things going for him, yet he was a stranger to God's goodness. And in fact, his goodness got in the way of him truly knowing God. Here's the picture. Two men in the temple to pray during a set time of prayer. The service of the sacrifice of the lamb has already taken place as a substitute for the sins of the people, either at dawn or 3 p.m. The smoke from the temple area now arose over the altar and the temple area. The sacrifice has now covered the sins of Israel, and the way to God was now open. It was now possible to bring your prayers to God because your sins have been covered. And this normally took place during the incense offering. So that's the setting that Jesus sets a parable in. And what we're told, the Pharisee stands and prays about himself or prays to himself. You see, it's not a God-centered prayer. It's a self-centered prayer. It's not uncommon for the, for the uh, person to pray out aloud. So it's quite common for a Jewish, in a Jewish practice for him to pray out aloud. But he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I guess he's watching the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. This guy how do I say it kindly, is full of himself. Or he has tickets on himself, we might say. Confident in his own righteousness and goodness. Sure, he didn't commit certain sins, and he was overly generous, but he had no sense of his own need of forgiveness and humble dependence upon God. You see, in his prayer, he should have offered thanks to God for all of his gifts and made petitions for his own needs. But instead, he boasts about his self-achieved righteousness. His prayer was a self-advertisement. 
Notice that after his opening word, he does not refer to God again, but he himself is never out of the picture. He places his confidence in himself and not in the God who brings forgiveness. In effect, he's saying, God, I thank you that I'm so great. Look at me compared to all the others out there. In fact, we get the impression that God should be honored that this faithful Pharisee is on God's team. Well, let's stop for a moment. Consider your attitude for a moment. Consider my attitude. Are we a little bit like the Pharisee? As you go into a new year and you look around you and you see brokenness and sinfulness and immorality, it's a little bit of that in you, that you feel you're much better than them and you put others down. Can I urge you not to be like that in 2021? You might say, I don't blow up people with bombs, I don't abuse my kids, I don't gamble, I don't treat the government very often, or I give to the Baptist World Aid Appeals, I give to the church offering, I give to the Salvation Army annual appeal, or maybe I serve with a Lions Club, I serve in a kids' ministry team, I run playtime, etc. It's a subtle temptation to elevate ourselves, to puff ourselves up as if we don't need God, that all the other people need God out there. I was really moved uh, about 20 years ago. There's a short article in the Sydney Morning Herald titled, The Darrow Set on Fire with His Own Meta. It's a devastating story. And some people just found this alcoholic on the ground and lit him up and burned him to death. And it's a story of a drunk, another drunk fellow. He was on a train. And when he saw this story, he got angry and started to shout and scream at the top of his voice. The whole carriage was watching him. They didn't know why he was going off, but he was just going off. And then stopped and apologized to everyone in the train. and said, I'm sorry, but I got so angry. They lit up this alcoholic fellow on the street, a homeless man. He was human too. And I wondered then when I heard that story, would I have acted with equal anger and upset and shouting at the death of this homeless alcoholic? And what would Jesus do? I remember being at Springwood Baptist and there was a woman who started turning up to church. She would visit our church, the Uniting Church, the Anglican Church. But what she was doing, as we discovered, there were missing wallets everywhere and money everywhere. And she was taking wallets and money and stealing from all these different places. And then I watched her being arrested. The police turned up at one place. It was a terribly sad situation. She needed help. She had two young children. And she needed forgiveness and she needed support. And did I shake my head and thank God I wasn't like her? I had to think, what would Jesus do? Someone broken, lost, in need. God reminded me to show compassion to others in desperate need. I remember meeting a, another guy called Dane. And uh, Dane was uh, a short guy, and uh, I think a Kiwi background, and he was covered in tattoos. I've never seen anyone so covered in tattoos. Short, stocky guy. And he, he turned up, he was living with a girlfriend, and, uh, and he'd asked for food parcels. Well, food parcels. So I'd take over a food parcel, and... 
you know, after a while, you just get used to taking a food parcel and going home. There's no conversation. doesn't really open up very much about his life. And for me, he was just another guy that we gave a food parcel to. Until one day, a minister from a church in Manly rang me. said, Andrew, I just wanted to say to you that I, I hear you've been giving food ha- hampers to a guy called Dane. I know Dane. Dane used to live in Manly, and Dane used to live on the streets, but uh, through the church, he came to know Jesus. And through the church, in time, we got him to play drums in, in our services. And he's ended up going to the mountains, because in the mountains, he could escape all the other drug drugos down in the Manly area. He wanted to start again, a fresh start. Friends, let me tell you, when I had that conversation, I never saw Dane in the same way again. He wasn't just this short, stocky guy in need, covered in tats. He was someone valuable in the eyes of God that I needed to give more attention to and more love to. But friends, maybe your judgment is a little bit more subtle than that, than simply judging people. Maybe you compare how you raise your kids or how other people raise their kids or how your kids have turned out compared to other people's kids. You know, your ones are, are strong in Christ, they're loving Christ, serving Christ, but the other kids, not so much. And we become puffed up, full of ourselves, as if we don't rely on the grace of God for all that we have. I met a couple of teenagers once in Hurstville, Westfield, and uh, it was my day off, and often on my day off, God just sends people to me. It's how it works, right? I'm having a coffee all by myself, and they come up and start a conversation and ask for money. And instead of just showing them away, this time I thought, well, let's, let's have a conversation. So I invited them to sit with me, and they told me about their stories and lost without hope. And uh, 19 and 16 they were, away from their families, no families to go to, living in a little one-bedroom unit in the city, without hope in the world. And God reminded me again that people matter to him. I'm no better than them. For Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now the Pharisee never got that. Friends, I hope we get that in 2021 and we look outside of ourselves, outside of our community to see where we can take the gospel, where we can show the love of Christ to people. See, there is a second person here and we see the humility of the repentant sinner. On the other hand, says Jesus, so you've got this Pharisee. I haven't painted a good picture of the Pharisee, says Jesus. On the other hand, we have the tax collector. He stood at a distance. He's not coming close to the temple. He's not coming close to where the holy people are. He will not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is a cheat, this fellow. He's greedy, he's dishonest. He works for the Romans, the enemy of the people of God. He was treated as an outcast by the Jews. He knew he had nothing to offer God. He stood at a distance, anxious not to be seen because he was unworthy. And in deep remorse, he beats his chest. Friends, striking your chest was characteristic of women, not of men. For this man to do so was a gesture of extreme sorrow and anguish. He throws himself upon God's mercy. He prayed that God's anger at his sin would be removed. So he wasn't justified because he was sinful, but because he called on God to trust, God in trust for mercy. As one person has put it, the only thing going for this guy 
was that he had nothing go, going for him and he knew it. And verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, friends, the Pharisee was too sinful, was sinful too, but his goodness blinded him to that reality. He was rejected not because he was good, but because he treated God as if he didn't need him. He assumed God would be on his side. Friends, we live this side of the cross, don't we? Jesus told that parable, but we, we move beyond that parable to the death of Christ. And a Christian is someone who realizes that the only thing going for them is that they have nothing going for them. And they throw themselves on God's mercy. What a great place to start in 2021. God, it's all you. God, I, I need your forgiveness. God, I need your power. God, it's all grace. God, it's all a free gift. It's not me, it's all you. For Christ died for sins, the Bible says, once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Whoever believes in the Son, John 3 says, has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a great place to start in 2021. You know, I had a, uh, a good person on you once. Again, he was uh, a fellow I knew at Springwood Baptist. He wasn't a believer, but he was what he called himself a good person. And I happened to have the freedom, the opportunity to preach on why being good is not good enough for God. That was the topic I was given. I spoke at the Springwood Civic Center. We had about 500 people gathered. We would go there once a month, and I got to preach evangelistically. His wife drew him along, and then he was so angry with my message, they never wanted to talk to me about it again. And then a, a few months later, he came to see me. He said, when I first heard you preach, I was really upset with you. You said I was not good enough for God. But I'm a decent guy. I work hard. I look after my children. I give them a good education. I love my wife. What do you mean I'm not good enough? And then as I got to know you, he said, I came to see that you trust in Christ and we all need forgiveness. We all need help. And one day he rang me and said, I need to see you. I said, what do you need, Carl? So I'm coming over now. I have all these questions and I can't sleep. I can't go to work. I've taken the day off. I'm coming to see you, he said. This good guy was humbled. And I answered some of his questions. And I gave him more than a carpenter to read. I gave him a Bible. And soon after, he did Christianity Explained. At halfway through Christianity Explained, he recognized his sin. He repented of his sin and received Jesus as a Savior. In fact, he went on to become a Christian leader and a Presbyterian minister of all things. But then let me illustrate someone who was a broken man far from God. Ricardo was known on the streets of New York as Sarah. Jim Simbala tells his story in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He said, Ricardo uh, was on cocaine for 10 years and involved in homosexual prostitution. He invited to a church there in New York City. He heard the message about Jesus. The Jesus who can set him free from cocaine and homosexuality. About a month after listening, he called out to God for mercy. Could God change him? Could God heal him? Could God restore him? A bit like... The tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
He admitted that he was doing the wrong thing and he needed God's forgiveness and transformation. And friends, as he called out to God, his life was transformed. In time, he married a Christian woman named Betty. Ricardo also had AIDS at that time, and which ultimately ended his life on this earth, but not before he recorded an eight-minute testimony of his transformation by the grace of God. And Charles Spurgeon once said that when a jeweler shows his best diamonds, he sets them against a black velvet backdrop. In the same way, God does his most stunning work where things seem hopeless. Wherever there is pain, suffering, desperation, Jesus is. And that is where his people belong. Among those who are vulnerable, those who think nobody cares. What better place for the brilliance of Christ to shine, says Jim Simbola. Friends, once you humbly begin this relationship with Jesus Christ, your life will change. You'll now live your life to please and honor God. I wonder who you like. The Pharisee, full of confidence in yourself, or are you like the tax collector, realizing you need the grace of God and your only hope is Jesus?